today by reciting the Lord's Prayer together as we normally do. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Lord, we pray uh, for our hearts to be open to the reception of the word. Uh, but we also, Father, and Justin has led us in prayer for uh, those that have suffered but uh, from the storm and how we can help. But Lord, I also know that there are churches, especially in Florida, that uh, are not able to meet today. They don't have the options that we have. They don't have resources that other churches might have. And Lord, not only do they not have the option to meet today, but to some of them, they live from week to week with their finances. And we ask that you would be the Lord who is their provider. We ask you to strengthen those churches. We ask you to help those churches. And even though this is a very difficult time, let it be a time that they will see that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord, our provider, the Lord whose faithfulness shall be seen. Help us as we work through the word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, and I had served as a youth pastor at a couple of churches, youth director at a couple of other churches, each of them had their own personality and dynamic. The one that I'm speaking of was a wonderful church, wonderful people, um, good group of kids, the Lord had blessed us. We had grown from about a dozen to about uh, between 50 and 60. And God was very good to us. But there was very little breakthrough. Uh, not a bad group, but just a group that had not broken through into what I felt was the, the fullness of God for them. That's not a criticism. It was just an observation. You know, in the best of groups, the best of churches, you have people that just don't come along. And in the worst of churches, you have people that will press through and follow God. And, and so it's, it's very seldom does everybody in one church go one way or the other. So there were, there were kids that were breaking through and there are kids that are church leaders today that I'm very thankful for, but had just not seen what I felt we needed to see or that God wanted to see. It wasn't a criticism I had. It was a hunger for the kids. And I had a youth retreat. Um, and it was the first time we had done anything like that. And I think it was the second service, the second night of the retreat, we had a phenomenal breakthrough. Uh, God just poured his spirit out in a way that I'd never seen at that church or in the youth group at all. And um, it was an amazing thing. It wasn't that I had done this great job of preaching, it's just that I preached and I, I presented a challenge and kids just began to respond. And we ended up sitting in a, basically a big circle, a couple of circles, as the Lord just seemed to go from one person to the other, ministering life to them. I began to have something that I wasn't real familiar with. I just call it an open vision. I began to see things in the spirit that I did not see in the flesh a few moments before. It was not a common thing to me, but it had happened before. And I saw um, demonic spirits began to be broken off of the lives of these kids and spirits left and kids were set free. I, I wasn't doing anything. Nothing I could put on a resume. I just saw God doing tremendous things. And um, there, there were, whew, well, I, I won't go into more detail because it, I, I don't want anybody to know where I'm talking about. And I don't want anybody that might be listening today to say, oh, I know who he's talking about. So it was good. I'll just put it that way. It was good. Um, and uh, I was so thankful and as I was seeing these things, I was in awe because I knew the Lord was giving me an insight. And it wasn't just a show. 
I began to understand why this kid was in such rebellion. It was demonic. I began to understand why this kid over here was having such trouble. Um, uh, it, it was connected to something that the Lord showed me in the spirit and all of it began to make sense. And during this vision part, I saw a person over in the other side of the room and it concerned me because I couldn't tell who it was. And, but I knew it wasn't a member of our group. And I was concerned that somebody from outside had made their way to our retreat gathering. And we didn't want that. We had gates locked and things like that, but no security like we have, would have it today's settings. And then I thought, well, maybe it's a parent that's come. And then I thought, no, this, this, this is, this is a weirdo. And I knew it was a weirdo. I thought, because they looked like they were wearing a robe. And uh, I thought, you know, who we, we've got some hitchhiker off the Florida highways that's here and they're wanting something to eat or, and, or, or scouting out the girls or something. I didn't know what it was. All that just ran through my mind in a few seconds. But as I looked, it was like the distance between me and this person was being closed and I, I was getting closer. And I knew it's not like I recognized him. But I knew that I was seeing Jesus. I knew it was Jesus. I just knew instinctively it was. You say, did you see his face? Yes. What did he look like? I couldn't tell you. Um, I, I, I remember through the years I've heard people say, I saw the Lord. What did he look like? I don't know. Did you see him in the face? Yes. What did he look like? I don't know. I couldn't have told you what he looked like, but I know instinctively I knew it was the Lord. And the only thing I remembered was his eyes and his eyes had the saddest expression and tears were flowing down his cheeks, not convulsively, but it was a deep, profound hurt that I was seeing. I didn't understand it because I thought Jesus should be proud at what was going on. And, and no doubt he was, he was in the deliverances and the, the couple of kids that came to him, he was but he was showing me something that it was going to take me a while to understand. And I, I realized that he was over there. I looked, nobody else was looking that way. Nobody else saw him. None of my leaders did. And I looked and um, I, I'm condensing the story. I'm kind of, you know, merging things together here. But um, in, in the course of, of that exposure, I began to realize that his heart was broken over what was going on. And I was lost because I, I said, Lord, have I failed you? Have I allowed something demonic? Have I opened the door to something that's not right? And I knew immediately that it wasn't that, but let me, let me, as I said, kind of mash things together. He said, this is what happens when people come to my presence and never acknowledge me. And I did not understand what that meant. And as I began to focus on it, um, I began to realize that we were having an encounter, but what effects would the encounter have? Were the kids thrilled? I mean, they were, they were yelling and shouting at the top of their, you know, things like, come on, devil, I'll show you who's, who's boss. And that's not a smart thing to say. I mean, I don't, I don't want to give the devil any glory, but, but even an archangel understood that you don't bring a railing accusation against the devil. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. And I realized that these people were trembling and shaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of them were speaking in tongues for the very first time in their life. But I also began to understand it was a show to them. It was a high to them. I would later think about the passages in the Old Testament, one in particular where the prophet said, my people have gone from high place to high place in their worship of, of false gods. And I know what high place to high place meant. There were the prophets of the Baal that had monuments set up high. There were the prophets of the grove and the higher you would go if a tree could be carved or whatever. The idea was get higher and you have more spiritual power. The same way as in the ziggurats that were the foundation of Baalism. The higher you could go in the ziggurat, the more 
corrupt and the more pronounced the wicked worship was. And he said, my people have gone from high spot to high spot and God uh, from high place to high place. And God spoke to me as I was praying about it later. He said, the church needs to understand that it is an abomination when they only worship from high place to high place. Now, I don't, I knew it was a play on words. I knew we weren't worshiping Baal. But what he was saying is the church right now is enamored with emotion. The church right now is enamored with what they feel or what makes them thrilled. And he said, I'm going to do something that will cause the church to return to the foundation that I gave her. And uh, she's going to understand the purpose of coming together. And, and I, I remember at one point in this process when I realized that none of the kids except a couple, none of them were really changing. It was just high spot to high spot. And I said, Lord, I think what you're telling me is that you were mistreated as a guest in our gathering. And I felt the Lord say, oh, it's worse than that. I was mistreated as the host of your gathering. And that set me down a journey to begin to understand, and we all know it, but very few of us have, have pursued the journey. We understand that when we worship the Lord, we must, as Jesus taught to the Samaritan woman, we must worship in spirit and in truth. We can do the right things. We can even go to what we are convinced is the right place. You know, the argument was, well, you say we ought to worship in Jerusalem. Our ancestors say we ought to worship here. And Jesus said it's not about place or form, although there is a place for place and form. But he said that's not what it's about. It's about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And it was then that I began to realize that it's not just us coming together, but it's us coming together for the right reason. Now, We've talked about, as we're wrapping up fullness, why God's people come to church. That's the last section of this series on fullness, uh, except for maybe a closing message. And I said, there are six things we need to learn. We talked about worshiping God together. We talked about the difference between worship and praise and what are the occasions for worship and the important role worship plays. Then we talked about we come together to be strengthened in Christ. And I don't know how many people said, I had no idea there were as many references in the New Testament as there are about coming together to be strengthened. And we talked, I remember I gave you a couple of testimonies of what can happen when we come to the presence of the Lord and allow him to strengthen us and break things off of us. So we're, we, we come to be strengthened in Christ together. Now the last two, five and six, you see in your notes, they came to be touched and made whole by Jesus. And that is a big reason we come to church. Uh, and we ought to do that. And then we are empowered to spread the gospel. Those are kind of our, our welcoming and then our marching orders. But the two in the middle that we want to talk about today, to be equipped to do the work of the ministry and to conduct kingdom business together. Loved ones, I, I, I want to be kind and I'm not trying to be controversial, but I think we need to, if we're going to really understand the foundation of the church, we need to understand that we've got to, we've got to come to terms with two abuses that are permeating the Pentecostal and charismatic church right now. One is the role of apostles and prophets. Um, I, there, and what is happening, the other is the idea of making decrees. And there is a sliver of truth and there is a place for decrees and there is a place for the ministry of prophets and apostles. But I want to tell you what the church has done is they have blown the idea of decrees out of proportion so that what we want, we just decree. We misquote Job and whatever we want, we decree, and we call that building the kingdom. And there is a place to decree. There is a place to declare the works of God. But that is not the primary function of the church. It is a function at a time led by the Spirit. 
but we are not just a group of people called together. You say, well, you know, the, the word ecclesia is a called out people to do business. That's one of the definitions of ecclesia. And that's not what you see in the New Testament, except in a couple of occasions that we'll talk about next week. There's a place for it, but I think some of you are being suckered by that. Uh, and, and, and so whenever what's decreed doesn't happen, you say the devil stole the election. And guys, I want to tell you, I don't want to serve a God who gives us a word, but the devil can mess it up. I don't want to serve a God like that. I mean, that we can never trust a prophetic word again. We can never trust a decree again if all we have to do is just say, well, it was stolen or the devil messed it up. Or, the devil will mess up everything, but there's a place for God's holy word. Now, don't, don't get your bowels in an uproar here. Um, listen, I know elections can be stolen. I know, I know evil things can be done by the government and to the government. I know that. But we have got to come back a couple of steps and decide who are we going to trust? Are we going to live in fear of the enemy? Or are we going to believe that God is able to perform that which he has promised? And so we've got to understand decrees can be made when they have certain characteristics to them. We'll talk about that next week. Um, but, but this is not an open thing. Whatever you decree is going to come to pass. I am thankful not everything I've decreed has come to pass. Now, I don't mean to be offensive. I don't want to, be, I don't want to treat people who believe that like they've treated us. I don't want to be rude and offensive. But the other thing is there's a scripture in Ephesians 2, I think it is, that says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And we have scores of churches that put the words of the prophets, the current prophets, on the same level as um, the, the written word of God. And they say that the church is to be directed by apostles, and most of them don't even know an apostle. Now, I do believe in prophets, modern day, and I do believe in apostles, modern day. But I don't believe that they are the, uh, the, the directors of the church. In fact, most of when you find churches, even if they have a good agenda like healing ministries and things like that, the, the problem that you have is their doctrine is being set by prophets instead of by pastors, instead of by theologians. Let me talk to you just a moment about the idea of the fivefold ministry. Um, the fivefold ministry says that God has set in the church uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I agree with that. I agree wholeheartedly. There are people that I believe are apostles. There are people that I know are prophets. But I want you to understand two things. When Ephesians says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, it's not talking about some guy from Del Rio, Texas, and a prophet that gets half of what he says wrong. Now, I know this is very technical, and I wish I'd done this first service instead of second so that I'm not on record as saying it, you know, it was the live stream. But um, I tell you, there, that scripture says that the church is built with, on the foundation set by apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. That is talking about the establishment of the church not the ongoing building of the church. Who are the apostles? I believe that there were 12 foundational apostles that are unlike any other apostles. They are even different than Paul. Paul was not a foundational apostle. He was a phenomenal apostle. And there were other apostles in the New Testament, but the church was built by the, under the direction of the 12 apostles who were following the instruction of the prophets that were the Old Testament prophets that predicted the church. When you find prophets in the New Testament, like Agabus and others, there's not a time you find them establishing doctrine. There's not a time you find them directing the church. 
They have prophetic insight as to what's going on, but never are they heeded as we better do what the prophet said in the sense of doctrine or the building of the church. And I know that's not what people want to hear, but Jesus is the foundation, the, the, the chief cornerstone, the apostles followed the admonitions of the prophets and put together this thing called the church that we are part of. Now, are there apostles today? Absolutely. Are there prophets today? Absolutely. But that leads us to something else. There are not apostles, the apostles today are not equal to the 12 foundational apostles, but they have a very valid ministry. I believe in apostolic ministry. I believe that every leader of a denomination ought to be an apostle. I believe that every leader of certain ministries at a certain level needs to be an apostle. I think there are even churches where the pastor needs to be an apostle because of the ministry of the church. But I don't know of anyone that I would call apostle that I would trust with the future of this church. I don't know of anybody that calls themselves a prophet that is going to derail us from what the Spirit has spoken to us because they operate in a prophetic gift. They're not establishing the church. They can only help build it up. Now, I know some of you are like saying, Pastor, you, I, I wondered if you were crazy. Now, I know you are. But loved ones, I want to tell you, that's th this idea of extreme decree, the idea of, of uh, we'll be led by a prophet, we'll be led by an apostle that has nothing to do with our church. You don't ever see that in the New Testament. You say, well, Paul directed the churches, those he found, uh, founded. Uh, Peter did the same thing. Uh, but loved ones, we've got to get back. You say, well, I just want to be a part of the great invisible church, you know. Well, you are, but you need to understand there's no invisible choir. There's no invisible food pantry. There's no great invisible teaching ministry. There's no great invisible outreach to our children or to our youth. All of that is in the context of a local congregation. And I believe even though we are in an age where the world has already been saying it, it's now even rising up in the church itself that the established church has lost its identity that the institutional church has lost its purpose. And what we want to do is hang on to things that are out there that have nothing to do with us. Now, again, I'm going to say it one more time. I believe in prophetic ministry. There are prophets that I listen to regularly because I want to know what they're hearing. There are apostles that I respect and honor, and I believe they have an insight that most people do not have, and I honor the apostles. But loved ones, I'm afraid, and I'm telling you, I pour out my heart to you. I'm afraid that most churches, most Pentecostal churches, most charismatic churches, I'm afraid we have fallen into the cult of personality. And we will go from website to website till we find a prophet that says everything's okay. We will go from website to website. And there are men and women that I believe are hearing from God, but they're only hearing part of it. Very few people understand everything. I don't know of anyone that understands everything. But we have parts and God has designed that we work together. We ought to listen to the prophetic. We ought to listen to the apostolic. But loved ones, listen, we have become, I don't mean our church because I don't think this is true of our church, but I think it's in our church. We have become a congregation that will go from good word to good word, from faith word to faith word. And anything that depicts suffering or correction or difficulty, we dismiss as the discouraging voice of the enemy. And loved ones, what we are doing is going from high place to high place. We're going from vision to vision without entering into all of the visions. <coughs> it's worth getting a drink of water over. So when I say we want to come together to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, that's very foundational. Next week when we talked about conducting business, kingdom business together, it's very foundational, but it is not the whole picture. You say, but it's just so good. Loved ones in a marriage relationship, sex is wonderful, but it's not everything. 
Uh, eating a good meal at supper table is wonderful, but it's not everything. Having a best friend to share your heart with is wonderful, but it's not everything. It's a relationship that ebbs and flows. It's a relationship that has highs and lows. And we have got to understand that the church is put together as a family, not as a corporate organization. Well, 1 Peter 4.10 gives us an idea of our purpose. Now, I'm not going to go linear, in a linear fashion through the notes today, but uh, I hope you got your pen. Some of the things I say are not in the notes. Some of the things in the notes are there for you to have, but I won't go over them. But Peter says this, God has given each of you, every one of you, I'm talking to you, every one of us. He's given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. He says, if your ability is words, uh, this is from the message, um, um, if words, let it be God's words. If help, let it uh, be God's hearty help. That way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus, and he will get all the credit as the one mighty in everything on course to the end of time. Oh, yes. Now, when we talk about the nature of the training, uh, uh, we, we're not going to spend a lot of time there, but I want to read this from Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." God said he's given us apostles. You can remember it with your hand. Uh, the thumb, this is the way it was explained to me, and I think it's good. It's not without flaw, but it's good. The, the uh, thumb is the apostle. And whether you view that as the foundational apostles in their writing or you view it as present day apostles, uh, the thing about the thumb is it touches every other ministry digit. There's a contact there. Even with arthritis, it can touch. And the role of an apostle, apostolic ministry, is not to control everything, but to influence everything, to, to have the mind of heaven on everything. Then there is the prophet. He is the one that points out what God is saying and what God is doing. You read in the book of Acts about Agabus. Agabus never set down doctrine. And Agabus never set down a command. But he said, let me show you what God's doing. There's a famine coming. And you need to, it was the first long emergency in the New Testament. He said, you need to be aware. I'm pointing this to you. And it was exactly what happened and the church responded. He came to Paul when Paul was on his way to Jerusalem and said, Paul, you need to understand this is going to happen to you. There's trouble waiting for you there. But you know what? The church couldn't agree on how to interpret Agabus's words or, or what to do with his words. Paul said, oh, I'm going to go. God's telling me I'm going to suffer, but I'm ready to suffer. And the other part of the church was saying, you, he's telling you you're going to suffer and you don't have to. We're trying to save you. Don't go to town. And they got back and forth. And Agabus didn't say, I'm the prophet. Let me tell you what this means. He let the church sort out his word. And when they did not agree, Agabus or the church said, they looked at Agabus in the word, they looked at Paul and his insistence. They looked at other, other prophets were saying, don't go. And they just said, the will of the Lord be done. The prophet does not set doctrine. The prophet says, this is what I see. Now the middle finger, I won't show you the middle finger, but it's the finger that in, in most of us, it extends further away from the body than the other fingers do. That's the work of the evangelist. The evangelist goes further out to touch people that are not um, generally out that far to touch people. You'd be surprised when Paul said, you know, he says things like this. He said, I told you not to um, have fellowship with adulterers and with corrupt and with liars. 
He said, I didn't tell you that because of the world. He said, if I was telling you not to stay around the corrupt people of the world, you'd have to leave the world. They're everywhere. He said, I'm talking about in the church. And loved ones, we need to understand that we are not going to have success making decrees to the world until we get right in the church. Paul said, you get right. He said, I'm telling you, you, you want to do boycotting? Don't go boycott the world necessarily. If you want to, that's fine. He said, I'm, don't worry about Disney till you get your own life straightened out. And that's, that's the position of the New Testament church. I'm not saying, oh, please, 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 don't jump me about Disney. But neither am I telling you to go cash your season pass in. I'm not going there. Uh, I'm trying to say the church is so busy with what is not always our business, at least not on the primary level. And he, but the evangelist goes out there where the church generally doesn't go. It's a gift to be an evangelist. And then the pastor, that's, th this is not, you won't find this in the Bible verse, but the Bible, uh, the, the pastor is the ring finger. And I think that that's significant in our culture. It's different, different cultures, but in our culture, because the pastor always calls the people to covenant. He always calls them to, to, to marriage. He calls them to relationship. And a pastor, that's why a pastor uh, has a lot of trouble with what a lot of prophets say. Because, never mind. And that's why a pastor has a lot of trouble with what evangelists say sometimes. Or what apostles say sometimes. Because he has a relationship with the family that nobody else has. And it's given, the responsibility of the flock is given to the pastor, given to the shepherd. Paul, or Peter even said, there is going to be a lot required of shepherds. He said so much so, Peter said this, that there will be a special crown given to shepherds that, that responsibly shepherd the flock of God. What's the little finger? Oh, the little finger is the teacher. The, it's, it's the little finger that goes into the detail uh, into the minute teaching that others would overlook or not even see. I mean, this little finger can go in any nose that's created. And, um, you know, I've always said that uh, the teacher is like a little baby. God creates a little baby that is just absolutely perfect because no matter how big his nose or how little his finger or vice versa, God makes those little ones where they can get up in there, whatever they need to do. God gives us teachers. But now you say, well, what am I? Am I an apostle? Maybe not. Am I a pastor? Maybe, maybe not. You know, what, what is my title? You've got to understand that there are titles. There are people whose title is apostle. There are people whose title is pastor. There are people whose title is evangelist. There are people whose title is pastor. There are people whose title is teacher. But the church ought to be all of these things, whether they have a title or not. Every church, every Christian ought to be apostolic. You go where you are sent by the Lord and you represent the basics of Christianity. Every one of us ought to be apostolic. <laughs> every one of us ought to be prophetic. Every one of us ought to be hearing from the Lord, even if we're not prophets as such. In fact, one of the biggest problems we've got to work through in our Pentecostal and charismatic churches is there are a lot of people that are prophetic and they think that makes them a prophet. And they're not prophets. They are prophetic. And you need to understand every one of us ought to be prophetic. Paul said, of all the gifts, I want you to be able to prophesy. I want you to be able to build up and encourage and strengthen. He said, that I want all of you to do that. But not many of you are going to be prophets. Just like he said, not many of you should desire to be teachers. Okay, there are those who have the title of evangelist. But you don't earn your living that way. But you know what? Every one of us ought to know how to share the gospel. Every one of us ought to know how to lead someone to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I remember banging on my pastor's window at 2, 2.30 in the morning because someone I was with wanted to get saved. And you know what I should have done? I should have led him to the Lord. But I thought the pastor had to do it. So I went and woke him up, God bless his heart, and, and had him lead him. And he just smiled like an angel the whole time. 
But you know what? I messed up because I need to be able to lead someone to the Lord. Okay, pastor. Oh, pastor, I'm not a pastor. That's what we pay you for. And, and I thank you for paying me. I love being your pastor. But every one of you ought to be pastoral. When somebody has a problem, you ought to be there to care for them. That's why we have small groups. And you know what we found out? And this is a wonderful thing. It's developed through the years. People don't always call a pastor first thing when they have a problem now. They call their group. They go to their group. And pastors are usually second or third down the line. And, and that's the way it ought to be. Not that the pastors don't want, want to be involved. But because we learned that we're all pastoral. And we all call each other together. The reason we have groups, um, I don't know if Darren's here. I think we've got close to 40 groups right now. The reason we have those groups is because some things happen in a small setting that can't happen in a big setting. And what we're doing with those groups is teaching them to look to their leaders who we are teaching to be shepherds. And then teacher, everybody, everybody, everybody ought to know the basics of the word of God and be able to give reason for the hope that is within them. Now, oh, I'm just, I'm almost foaming at the mouth here. I'm trying to decide the best way to handle this. Um, Let's, let's wrap this up, okay? You have the outline. You can go over that. Uh, but I, I want to say there are basically five things. If we are going to understand this foundation, we come to church to be trained, to be equipped. Loved ones, please hear me. I, I, don't, I don't want to sound belligerent or hostile. That's not my intent at all. Um, there's nothing wrong with people coming to church because of signs and wonders. Nothing wrong. Uh, as long as they ask, what does this mean and what should we do? Uh, okay. Um, a lot of times we put so much emphasis in our churches on attraction that we don't put anything else other than getting here. And we, we, we gauge our success by numbers. Do you know what I will always be thankful to the COVID pandemic for? Now, I hate COVID. Uh, I had COVID. I, 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 I don't, I'm not leaving anything to it in my will. I, I, I do not like COVID. I hate it. We need to pray against it. We need to ask God to heal. But I am thankful for one thing for COVID. It has made it almost impossible for most churches to know how big their congregation is. It really has. I mean, unless you're just such a small church that you're not online or whatever. Um, every week we think of somebody, well, I guess we lost them. I guess we lost them. And then we check. We haven't lost them. They've been watching every week. You know, there's somebody, we, you know, or I guess we lost them. No, they've been giving every week. Uh, but it, it, we can honestly say we don't know any given Sunday if we have 1,500 or 5,000. We can't tell how many are watching. We can tell how many machines watch, but we don't know if there's one person at that machine or 10 people at that machine. I got a note from uh, somebody this morning, uh, three or four states away, I'm sitting in my car watching service. I thought, all right, praise God. Um, and and, and that, that warms my heart so much. Um, what I'm saying is God has done us all a favor by saying, you've put all your eggs in the basket of numbers, and I'm going to make it where you can't even see your numbers. And you're going to have to ask yourself the question, will I be faithful for 50 as well as I'm faithful for 500? Am I making sense? Yeah. I thought it was beautiful. So, okay. When, when we, but we've got to understand, this is the point I'm trying to make. We've got to understand, we don't just come to church for, for the show. We don't come to church for miracles, even though that, that is one of the reasons God people come together is to be healed and, and helped. We, we come together, at least we need to include this. It doesn't need to be the only reason. But what I believe caused Christ to cry in that vision I had was not that people were being blessed. There was nothing wrong with that. It was a breakthrough. And that retreat was life-changing for a couple of people. But it was the problem that they were going from high place to high place. And we need to see it recovered in the body of Christ where we come back together to learn how to be Christians. 
You say, don't you think we have that now? No, in the average church, people will come to church until the pastor makes them mad. Or people will come to church until they don't like the way something's done. And guys, I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. This is, this is, this is church life. People stay until you offend their preferences. And what we have got to recover is that we come to church to be trained, to live as Christians, to do our work. Now, there are things we can do to, to, um, to figure this out. You know, you say, what is my calling? Um, I mentioned SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E, by Rick Warren. It's in your notes. I don't have time to go over it today. But there are about five clues that can help you understand what your calling is. And I think our job is to discover what our calling is, our, our place of service in the body, then get trained and do it. Let, let me give you the five things. These are not in your notes, but this is what I want you to wrap your hearts around when we talk about this. Number one, and I'm, some of this is repeat. Here's number one. We are to come to church to be equipped. Every one of us every one of us. Ephesians 4.13, God gave me to you and you to me. God gave us evangelists. God gave teachers. God gave apostles. God gave pastors. God gave us to the church um, collectively so that we will learn how to do the work of the ministry. None of us are good enough to do it without training. None of us are talented enough to think we don't need correction and refinement. None of us are. So we need to come together and every, this thing called the local church that God has put in place, it's here for other reasons too, but it's here in order for me to learn how to be a better Christian. Here's the second thing uh, I want you to remember. Uh, I'll save it. Here, here's the second thing I want you to remember. We fit together by submission and purpose into fullness. We fit together by submission and purpose into fullness. A lot of times we see churches try to change roles and responsibility. It's just the, it's just the, the spirit of the age. It, we're, we're living in an age where women want to be men and men want to be women. We're living in an age when marriage means nothing. The husband is the same as the wife and the wife's the same as the husband. And we've adopted that spirit of the age and we have countermanded God's, God's roles and responsibilities. And if it doesn't fit our liking, we will rebel. That's the whole issue of the fall of man. Paul said to the Romans, in the first uh, chapter of Romans, he says, God made himself clear, but because they did not like what they saw, they changed everything. And loved ones, we've got to understand for the church to work, we've got to fit together by mutual submission, by mutual uh, purpose, to fit into the fullness of God. I think what I'm trying to say is this, and, and again, people get upset, but not only am I saying that you get training at church, you won't get anywhere else, generally speaking, but we also need to understand that there is a structure in church that you need to quit running from, and you need to come together. You see, when the temple was built, this is so beautiful, uh, the, the temple was such a magnificent structure, but do you know what God did? He ordained that there not be a sound of the hammer or the grinding of the saw. He said, I'm going to do a work in you so that when you come together, you will fit together perfectly. And there's not a sound of the hammer to be heard. In other words, every time you hear grunting and groaning and whining and complaining, that's somebody that hasn't got sanded down before they got here. Justin, would you tell them? It's good. Number three, okay, I have to come to church to be trained. I have to fit 
the order that God put in church. And number three, I've got to serve. I've got to serve. There was a thing that was true a couple of decades ago. I don't know if it's still true, but it says that 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That was an, an axiom, a maxim that was just accepted. I don't know if it's like that now or not, but I know this, I still see people being exhausted in their labor for the Lord because they're not only doing what they are called to do, they're also doing what others are called to do. And they don't want to let that go undone, so they take it up. They take it up. <laughs> One of the funniest things I've ever heard was we were having lunch with somebody on Mother's Day and this mom just knocked herself out preparing a fantastic meal. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I looked at my wife. I knew what my wife was saying. She was saying, you guys need to clean this mess up. She's done all the work. She's done the, you know, and I was thinking, yeah, we need to do that. And um, I said to the wife, I said, well, let us help you with this. And this is what the husband said, and he meant it so sincerely, but I, I could not help. I busted out laughing. He said, oh, honey, don't worry about these dishes. This is Mother's Day. You can take care of them tomorrow. <laughs> I believe that I probably saved his life by being there because she wasn't going to do what she wanted to do with guests in the house. And uh, we, we were good for it. We joked about it. We still joke about it. But um, that was not the right, that was not the right answer. That was not the right show of grace and mercy. Uh, you get it tomorrow. This is Mother's Day. No, no. And we, we need to understand that sometimes if we're not careful, we'll do that in church. We'll appreciate folks. We'll say, well, they do a good job with that class. And then all we want them to do is take a day off when what we need to do is pick up the load ourselves. So we need to serve. Uh, and I want to say this relationship in church is not very different than relationship in marriage. Uh, church membership is not a lot different than marriage. There are good times and there are bad times. There really are. There is sickness and there is health. And there are seasons. There are seasons when everybody's lovey-dovey. There are seasons when both are mean as a snake, it seems like. There are seasons when one's good and one's this and one's this and one's that. I want to tell you, marriage is not for cowards. It is not for, for cowards. Every marriage will have difficulty. Every marriage will have seasons. Just the raising of kids introduces three or four totally separate seasons. And loved ones, you don't leave your marriage, or hopefully you don't. You don't leave your marriage because you're in a tough season. You don't leave your marriage because your spouse is ill. You don't leave your marriage because of any of these things. You buckle down, you figure out how to work together because you realize the most important thing is the, is the family. But we don't do that with church. We just find ourselves cursing the church, saying the church has missed God, the, the leaders have missed God, the people have missed God, and we go on to a church, and, and then we, we begin to discover that every church must be blowing it, because every church we go to is the same way. And if you don't stop, you know what you do? You become a pronouncer of judgment. God has sent me to this church to straighten it out because I see what's wrong with this church. And we've had people like that. We've had people that come in this church, never been here before, but they want to hold uh, the pastors for an hour after church to explain to us why we're wrong and why the church is blowing it and why we're not worthy to have the name of Christ in our title. And loved ones, that's like your neighbor being invited to your house for dinner. And they come in, and instead of graciously accepting your invitation, they start going through your dresser drawers. They start going through your private stuff. They hold your underwear up and say, you know, loved ones, we need to understand that in the name of spirituality, charismatics and Pentecostals, we are Pentecostal. But we have fallen into the trap of being harsh judgments that go through people's drawers Pun intended. And we call it, you wouldn't believe the titles people have given themselves coming into this church from out there somewhere. God sent me to this church today. And, I, you know, maybe he did send them, but it was for them to repent and get right with God. 
it wasn't for them to do what they thought they were here to do. Now, loved ones, uh, I, I, I read something online by, by a national leader known around the world. And what he said was right. What he said was exactly right. But I started crying and I said, what am I doing? Why am I crying? This is not true of our church. Why am I crying? And I began to realize what I was feeling is everything he says, if he would ever just shed a tear, if he would just shed a tear over the condition of people instead of pronouncing doom and gloom, he's 100% right, but his hard heart makes him 100% wrong. We've got to stay away from that. We've got to beware of that. We've got to understand that judgment does begin at the house of God, but he is the judge, not us. So serve. Here's number four. Serve with anointing. Find out what your best gift is. You may be a person with multiple gifts. Most of us might have two gifts. A lot of us just have one gift. I'm so jealous of some pastors. They, no matter what's needed at the moment, they can do it. And I, boy, I wish I was like that. I'm, I'm, you know, the story of the five and the two and the one talent. I feel like I'm maybe a one talent guy, maybe a three quarter talent guy. But I've known guys that are two, three, four, five talents, and and I am I am so envious. But loved ones, you can waste your time regretting what you aren't called to do when we need to just find out what we are called to do and get started. Now, here's the last thing, and then we're going to start wrapping it up. Uh, understand that every church will never outgrow this. Every church must operate by love. Every church must operate by love. That means that uh, we follow the steps of Jesus, who just before he died, when he washed the disciples' feet, what does the Bible say about that act? It says he showed them the full extent of his love. It means that we operate with respect and care and affection by mutual submission. And I know that sounds so hokey, and I know it sounds so basic. But loved ones, if we don't get the foundation right, we'll never be what we're... We will be a flash in the pan. Years ago, I called a church that had never taken a mission trip to take a, a trip with me to Central America and build a church. There was a little village... The place where we stayed in town had the hotel, and we had a 30 or 35, I forget if it's 30 or 35 mile or 30 or 35 minute bus ride into the middle of nowhere. I, I, I sat on that bus day after day. I, I made friends with a little goat that was traveling every day. I, I'm not kidding. I sat with a chicken in my lap a couple of times. Um, I offered my seat to one of our ladies because I realized she was standing and gentlemen don't let ladies stand. And I said, please sit here. She said, oh, no, Brother Chitty, no, no. I'll have to hold that chicken you've been holding. I thought, I'd, rather, I'd rather stand than hold that chicken. <laughs> she, she was the same lady when we got to the building site. There was no bathroom anywhere. In the whole village, there was no bathroom. And uh, I said, oh, okay, I... I told the pastor, the missionary, I said, uh, uh, I said, we've got to get a bathroom here. And um, they took us out and they dug a hole by a tree. That was a bathroom. And this lady panicked. And I said, uh, I tried to explain uh, to the missionary. He understood me. I tried to explain to the pastor. I said, I don't mean to be offensive, but we have ladies on this trip. This, this hole is not going to do for ladies. We need something with modesty. And he said, oh, okay. And he went and got cardboard and put it around and um, still just the hole. And she came out and looked at it. And she said, oh, Brother Chitty, please, no, I can't do this. I'm just going to hold it till we go back home. <laughs> and I said, listen, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. And I said, just bring one of the ladies to stand guard, hold the cardboard. You're going to be fine. And it was that kind of trip. It was that kind of trip. We went and uh, there was no... There, there, well, there was a store and there was a, one other building. Uh, 
that had a concrete floor. Uh, but everybody, everybody lived in thatched roof huts. Nobody had a house that we know of anywhere in the village. And um, uh, the pastor, we wanted to honor him. Uh, the, the church members came and said, we would like for you to honor our pastor. And I said, of course, what can we do? And with big old tears, the lady said, could you give our pastor a floor in his hut? He's a newlywed and he's on a dirt floor. And every hut I'd been in just had a dirt floor. And we would like for him to have a floor. And I asked the missionary later, I said, who, who else has floors? He says, he's crying. He says, nobody has a floor. So one of the big things we did is we went in and gave the, the pastor a floor. And you would have thought we had given him the Taj Mahal. And he was, his wife was just, she was just like newly wed delight. I've got a floor in my little one room house. And we were so glad of that. And we worked so hard. We worked so hard. I've never been on a trip where we worked as hard. I've never been on a trip where I got sick before. And I was sick as a dog. We had people that had to go to the hospital uh, even after the trip was over. It was, it was the roughest trip I'd ever done. The, the, the congregation wanted to prepare a meal for us. And we had brought our own food, but they wanted to do it. They cooked. And I looked, I walked into the little shelter, and it was a beautiful, beautiful bowl of, of uh, beans and rice. And I love beans and rice. I really do. And I walked up to the table and sat down, and all the beans flew away. <laughs> so you've got an idea what it was there on the rice. And you say, well, what'd you do? I smiled at those people, said, thank you, and I ate it. That's what I did. It's also why I was sick for three weeks, but I ate it, you know. And while we were building the church, there were a couple of uh, contractors that were part of the job. I told you, I'm the guy that carries shingles up the ladder. I, I have no building skills. And um, the temperature was 106. It was just miserable. And they said, we've got to do this for a foundation. This is an earthquake area. We've got to do this for a foundation. And we were working like a buzzsaw, going and getting stuff done. And he said, we're going to have to do this. We've got to cut the rebar. We've got to put it down. He said, then we're going to have to let it just sit for two days. And I said, we, we can't let this sit for two days. We've got to finish the church. He said, pastor, I understand, but we've got to do this. We can, we can work on some other stuff. We can build some furniture. But he said, if we don't do the foundation right, this thing's going to fall one day. And I, I looked around at thatched roof huts. I said, it's going to last longer than these huts, you know. And he talked me into it. He said, we need to do it. I said, well, I'm going to bow to your expertise. And for two days, we did stuff that I thought anybody could do. But we needed to be working on this, that, and the other. And then after two days, we got together. We rolled in. We worked late. We got it done. And when we left, they had a, I won't say it was beautiful, but they had a church completed with four walls, a ceiling, a floor, and a foundation that was far beyond what we thought was necessary. When we went back home and we were, like I said, we were sick. I wanted to get home so bad. We were on the airplane, Aeromexico airplane. And they said, I'm sorry, we are having trouble with the engine. We think it's dangerous to take off. I wanted to go home so bad. I stood up and said, let's go for it. Let's, let's, I said, I can believe God if you can. I want to go home. <laughs> well, they got it fixed after a couple hours, but I was ready to go home. And I wasn't joking. I was serious. We got home and there was a person in the church that had opposed the trip. It was a, a good man. He loved the Lord, but he got something in his crawl. He didn't think that we ought to go to Central America and build this church. And he opposed the trip. He said it wouldn't work. We needed him to go on the trip because of his skills, but he wouldn't do it. We got back home and we talked about, we showed the slides and how God blessed our trip. And he was just pouting the whole time. Within, I think it was three weeks 
or so uh, of completing the project, a hurricane came through that area and destroyed the village. Destroyed it. Every building was down. He came up to me and he said, well, you say, aren't you afraid of him hearing this? Nah, he deserves it. He came up and uh, he said, well, I hear everything y'all built blew down, had a little smirk on his face. He said, looks like you built for nothing. I told you. I was not very spiritual. I know what I wanted to do and it was not I'm just glad I didn't have Peter's sword at that moment. <laughs> and I said, well, we felt like we were obeying the Lord. I don't know what to say. He said, well, I'm just saying it's something when everything you work for gets blown away. And then I thought of a good sermon, but I thought, no, I won't go there either. I was devastated. I talked to the missionary and, uh, or, or, or to one of our missionaries. And he said, I, I heard about that. And he said, I'll see what I can find out for you. To make a long story short, this is what happened. The hurricane came through and blew down every building in that town except the church. The church was the only thing that stood. And this is what the pastor said. He said, we all gathered with our animals in the church while everything was blown away. He said, please tell the church that giving us the foundation they gave us not only saved the church, it saved our lives. He said, everybody in the church lived. Those that did not come to the church did not live. Loved ones, that's why we spend time on foundational elements like this. That's why when it's easier to say, oh yeah, just, just have faith and confess. When it's easier to say, just make a declaration and a decree. That's why we take the painful route that opens us to extreme criticism to say, this is not all truth. It might be true, but it's not all truth. And loved ones, I am so thankful. The goal of my life, and I think it's the goal of every pastor here, is what Paul said to the church at Ephesus in Acts 20. He said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. This is what I'm saying. There's a handful of churches that are rising while others are falling. There's a handful of churches that are coming together while others are falling apart. It's what I call the remnant. And it's going to be those that are understanding why we come to church, why we gather. And with all of these five wonderful reasons, we also come to be trained how to walk out the kingdom of God. I want to invite you, stop dating the church. Stop church hopping. Now, you say, well, I'm here today because I felt God led me here. I ain't talking to you. <laughs> no, seriously, I know God moves us to the right place. That's not what I'm calling church hopping. But I'm telling you this, stop dating the church. Stop going for dates with the church. Find a church and marry her, whether it's this one or somewhere else. Become a member, become a supporter, find your role in the church and get busy because that's what God's about to bless as never before. Okay, we're done. I don't know how to give an altar call for this. You know, those of you that aren't church members, come up here and repent of your sins. No. No, the doors for church membership aren't open today. I mean, that's a different process. I'm not saying, you know, if you've had, you know, if you've been into hyper decreeing, you know, cut your tongue out. I'm no, no, there's a time to decree, but loved ones, we've got to come back to balance. We've got to come back to balance. And that is what God is after the church, the prophets, the apostles, 
the pastors have got to come back to balance or we are going to be blown about like a wind with only one sail, a boat with only one sail. But that's not what the altar call is about today. The altar call is just for those that are sick, that have a problem, that need help. Most importantly, for those that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Listen, we don't ever want to forget that while we come together for these purposes, we also come together to be healed and made whole by Jesus. That's, that's a couple of weeks out. You'll have to wait. But you don't have to wait to be touched by the Lord. We all need our adjustment. We all need our adjustment. Watching baptism today, I told Angela, I already baptized him. I was thinking of his dad. You know, you have to get adjusted. Don't ever regret the moments when God brings you clarity. Clarity. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come. And if you have a need, whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever your need, and you'd like to have prayer, come forward. If you need to go, then go with the blessing of the Lord. God be with you. Thank you for the way that you love. Thank you for the way that you serve. And I want to tell you, Charles Dickens might have been prophetic when he wrote, you know, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And we are in the best and the worst of times. But we are going to line up with the best. We're going to fulfill the prophecies about it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Would you stand with me? Father, help us, please. You know where we are. You know what we need. We ask for your covering. We ask for your covering. We ask for your covering. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We ask you to come and restore what is broken. Heal what has been shattered. And give hope where hope has been lost. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.